This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello, and with me today, with me, Cam Rastan, today, we have the returns of, after a very long absence, uh, where he's been busy working on BFM as a familiar voice, he is Richard Bradbury. Hello. Been away far too long, Richard. It's been a very, very long time, Cam. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Well, th- this should be your priority. Well, it, I agree. Yes. And and we have the return of he's an actor, he's a director, he's a writer. He is Na'a Murad. Hi. Hi, Cam. Hi, Richard. Hi, uh, thousands of listeners. Oh, oh, come on. There are dozens of listeners. Uh, come well, three, on. Three oh. listeners. Both of them. <laughs> um, so our three topics this week are topic number one is Johnny Halliday and Cliff Richard and how come it's so hard to have an incredibly long career in the music business. Topic number two is art in science. And finally, topic number three is the troubles of the serial hobbyist. So uh, with topic number one, unless you're French, you may not have heard of a man called Johnny Halliday. Hands up. Uh, Richard, are you familiar with Johnny Halliday? I am. I am. Oh, uh, okay. I know his name. Ah, you see? (laughs) Yes, you probably know his name. And nah, you'd heard his name. Kind of. Kind of heard the name, but I have no idea who he is or what he's released. Well, until recently, he was famous. Yeah, until recently, I'd only really heard his name. I knew he was big in France. And then there was a documentary on Netflix, documentary series. I watched it. It's fascinating. And I discovered he is huge in France. Was He died a few years ago. So from about the year 1957, post Elvis, he became hmm. a, he was a young rock and roller. Nice looking fella. And then from that time onwards, he's had an incredibly long career in France. I mean, selling out stadiums in France right up until his death. Um, so even by the year 2012, he was still filling up uh, Start de France Stadium, which is a that's pretty difficult to do. And the, the amazing thing about him was he starts off being a kind of a mini Elvis Presley. But as the years go by, he's kind of, stealing from British and American music ideas. So he then starts singing, say, the Beatles songs. But in the case of uh, the very happy Paul McCartney song, Got to Get You Into My Life, he changes the lyrics to, I've got to get you out of my life because we're dangerous for each other. We're going to kill each other. So it becomes very French, you know, crimes of passion. (laughs) And uh, But then as years go by, his stage shows, suddenly he's like heavy metal. He's Judas Priest. Suddenly he's uh, The Who. I don't think he did disco. I wouldn't be surprised. He almost didn't have to do punk because he was himself punk, but he just kept, I wouldn't even say reinventing, but just simply copying the styles of others. (laughs) But in that closed market of France, and he was huge. And then I think of Cliff Richard, I would hope that our listeners have at least heard of Cliff Richard, who uh, Richard was saying just now that his grandmother was a big fan. Yes. Um, our generation, not so much, but he again, uh, famous from, from 1957 onwards. And and he also kind of changed up in the 1980s, almost became cool, I would say, mm. with a few songs. He, she's just a devil woman. <laughs> First time I've ever sung on the show, but I want to ask the, the ask the question. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, there are there are not many who've had very long careers, uh, and and I don't want to just not just rehashing that first album they did when they were seventeen and doing nothing new, but kind of like doing new things. Mm. How come it's so hard? I mean, Richard, you're a music man. Mm, mm. 
I I think what you said uh, about him re- constantly reinventing himself or, or, or borrowing, however you want to put it, I, I think that's part of something important. I mean, if you look at, I mean, she's not been around as long as Johnny Halliday, but if you look at Madonna for an example, you know, mm, it, it, it seems as though, yeah, it seemed as though every album she released, um, she became a different person or a, a different act, so to speak. Um, even Elton John uh, to a degree as well. Um, Bowie. Uh, and, and now in, in today's kind of more modern listening, you look at Beyonce and her Sasha Fierce kind of character when she comes on stage. It's always something new and, and refreshing that can kind of connect with a newer audience, yet you still know who they are at their core. Uh, and I think, I don't know what it is about Cliff Richard. You're right, he was inoffensive. Mm. And I think that's why some people still go back to him. You know, um, not that I would. I mean, he's somebody that I, I, when it comes on the radio, it kind of, it makes me cringe a little bit. And it's not necessarily because I think his music is bad, because it, it isn't. It's inoffensive pop music. But I think it's because it is so inoffensive and there is music for me is something that should be to a degree combative you know and so it doesn't appeal to me does that make sense yeah no i get what you're saying but i just want to say that cliff richard is on tour and you and me richard we could go if you want (laughs) Uh, (laughs) well well well, not uh richard's the eternal punk warrior uh what do you think do you think do you think it's uh it's uh I, it's a minority, I kind of isn't it? Are you who Cliff Richard? No, a minority that can survive. True, absolutely. And and I think it and sometimes it looks like they're gonna survive. Like for example, back in the early 2000s, Bob Dylan suddenly started coming. He had a couple of really good albums. Yeah. Um yeah. Empire Burlesque. It was still Bob Dylan, but it was something fresh and new about it. And and he was on the road to being, you know, of just continuing this. The streak of two albums, but he did not. I, I think it's it, it depends on 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 inspiration, but also, but when you think about it, I don't think um, Bob Dylan is now considered say a thing of the past, and people are probably still listening to him um, a lot. But it's just that he hasn't created anything new. So my question is: Did Cliff Richard keep on producing new stuff, or was he just so likable that people kept? listening to his old stuff because it's a difference right yeah people who like for example santana people listen to his stuff but he hasn't done anything really new for quite a while now though that that period of reinvention for him was also amazing when he yeah. did um super supernatural and all those albums yeah but, but like cliff richard he didn't really he stopped yes about 80s, no he did right? he did yeah, yeah yeah no he uh he he uh <laughs> am i advocating for cliff richard <laughs> I don't know. never never, I never thought, thought my would, life right? would come you are this. in that corner Cam. you are in that <laughs> I am, and I, i'd have brought it on myself yeah um no no but he is still producing but um albums as well uh, but he sends really yeah you buy them from him directly and he'll send it to you mail order um oh wow okay. and really yeah 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 um and he still makes money i mean he makes good money um and i just i i think it's to be admired that he uh, uh ba robertson do you remember ba robertson uh richard no i don't sorry oh, Cal. oh he was quite hip back in back in the early 80s he actually co-wrote some yeah. with cliff richard mm. um i all right well here's another thing i think that popular music obviously I mean, this is not gonna be earth-shaking is um, it's it's about telling a young person's story. It's about being young. It's about youth. Hmm. And, of course, singers get older. 
and mm. they can no longer look the part. And it becomes a, <clears throat> a little embarrassing when they tr consistently try to seem young. So I think that the ones who can have longevity are the ones who were kind of never young. I know that Cliff Richard's saying, you know, the young ones, but in a way he was never young. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and uh, I, I find it a bit, actually, I, I find a bit, Madonna a bit embarrassing. Yeah, nowadays, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So if so Tony, I, Tony Bennett died recently, and mm. he was never young, mm. but he's successful right until the end. Mm. I always found it creepy that uh, 50s rock and rollers were already in their late 20s or 30s and they were singing songs like, you're 16, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> you're beautiful. <laughs> like, they wouldn't last a second today. What yeah, about somebody like, like Johnny Cash then? Where would he come in? Because, you know, he's he's he was performing right from the, the mid-50s, right, up until um, his demise yeah. around the early 2000s and he kind of had a bit of a reprisal towards his end i mean he was yeah. popular but he became quite popular because again he borrowed music um and released the the last album he released the, the was it called the black album or something similar to that was was mainly um um cover versions and his most popular song on that was uh, by the nine inch nails uh, a song called hurt Oh. Which, if you if you heard the original, it is you know incredibly electronic and industrial sounding, and he just broke it down to just him and, and his style with an acoustic guitar, and it became one of his most popular songs amongst younger people. Absolutely, yeah. and that was his way of connecting, I guess, to a younger audience. And if you look on YouTube for a great many young people, that is Johnny Cash. Yeah, 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 and they judge mm. him by that, which is kind of mm. strange. Yeah, uh, but again, was he ever young? No, not really. No, yeah, it didn't seem like it. Yeah, it was yeah. very serious. And he was yeah. always already broken by by the world and and defiant. Mm. Um, so and that's you get longevity when you do that, uh, basically. Yeah. Uh, you so know, if you're going to stay young, like you said, it, it it just doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Okay, so to wrap up, then I think the three of us, if we form a band, obviously uh, Richard's on guitar and and <laughs> <laughs> me and Nara are on tambourine. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, we, we, I mean, we're already, you know, we're not 18 anymore, but we, we sing about being weighed down by um, the world. Aching, aching knees and, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Graphic uh -huh. jams in my neighborhood, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We sound like the sort of letters that people write to the council. Uh, <laughs> well, that, that, that could be the name of the band. Oh. Look, I mean, if Chris Cliff Richard can, can sell it directly to consumers, I'm sure we could do the same thing. You know. Okay, you're on. We're, we're going to yeah. come over for band practice at your place. Uh, <laughs> Deal. <laughs> okay. So we move to topic number two then. Um, Na'ar, art in yeah. science. And Na'ar, you've you got yeah. two minutes to sell the sell. <laughs> well, it, yeah, it, this, is, this is really a, a, a potentially big topic. But art in science, I guess, has always been around in a point. I mean, probably people like Pythagoras and, you know, all, all those Greek um, mathematicians may have written amusing things, but their actual mathematics was very dry, I would assume. But uh, I think the, the, the level of art in science really flowered with a, with a man called Alexander von Humboldt, who came as it off, apparently, but has become a name that's kind of like disappeared as compared to his contemporaries like um, Darwin and, and, and you know, even, even people like Lamarck, who, who really didn't, didn't achieve much. But Humboldt was an artist, basically. I mean, he was a poet. 
who was also very passionate about science. I mean, at one point, he wanted to travel. He wanted to see the world. So he went all over South America. And to cut a long story short, after that, that epic, I think, three-year journey, and he had a lot of adventures, uh, but to stick to his uh, poetry, he eventually produced five volumes of something called Cosmos, which was his book that, that wanted to cover the scale of the universe, basically everything from plants to, to rivers, to mountains, to, to, to space, to the universe. And, and these were beautifully illustrated. He wrote poetically rather than, you know, just, just dry empirical science. He was, he, was, he, was, um, he was very much a poet. He was uh, very much, what do they call it? The, the German romanticism influenced him. He was influenced by Goethe. He knew Goethe very well. A lot of poets at that time loved his work and a lot of burgeoning scientists loved his work. Darwin was, was uh, an admirer. A, lo a lot of people were, were his admirers. And, um, you know, um, not only did he write this, there was barely any categories for science that they didn't have names for a particular science. I mean, geology was barely called geology. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, uh, astronomy was barely called astronomy. But he actually literally created or at least shepherded fields of biogeography, um, the theory of evolution, basically, from, from his observations. Um, he was one of the earliest champions of the movement of continental plates, environmental catastrophe due to you know, forest degradation. And he even predicted climate change, but for different reasons. I mean, there was no fossil fuels, not, not a lot burning then. But he, he kind of foresaw all kinds of stuff, which we take for granted now. Right. And um, his name is uh, is uh, remembered Alexander, in the names of towns in across names of towns across America, especially more more animals in their in their their, their Latin names are, are Humboldt something than in any other person. Attenborough has two animals named after <laughs> him, but Humboldt had like has about a hundred or something like that. So he was a bit anti pure empiricist because he didn't believe in just facts. He said you have to immerse yourself in nature or whatever you were studying. And then the real, the truth. He was a bit of a hippie, la. and then the truth mm. will will come to you. But he so, was so so. No, so no, can I can I can I, can I cut in here and ask you then? Therefore, yeah. you admire him for his. I mean, he didn't make stuff up. I don't think. No, he, he, didn't, he didn't. But you you um, admire his presentation. His not so much. I would say. I, I mean, I do. I do. I mean, you read his stuff now, Ken. You'll be laughing because it's it, you know it's it, it's dated. But he was so popular. Okay, he made science popular the way that it probably isn't now. Um, an observer, he was eventually in Paris, an observer in Paris said that even barmaids, heaven wenches, would be discussing Humboldt when he did his talks. So I suppose <laughs> back then, you know, a bar wench was just the lowest of the low, right? I don't know, mm -hmm. maybe even chimney sweeps and rat catchers were talking about, oh, Humboldt said this and Humboldt said that. So the, his popularity to the general public was amazing. It was like something that maybe we don't have now, but I think we do. I mean, are there, uh, that's what I want to ask you guys. Do you think that there are these artistic, poetic scientists today. I mean, I have a few that, that I consider um, uh, uh, successors of Humboldt, but what do you guys think? Has, has there been in your life, I mean, even if you are not interested in anything particularly mm. scientific, but have you actually mm. been inspired by, by you know, a Carl yeah. Sagan or, or anybody? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Richard, you've, you've been nodding your head knowledgeably. Um, yeah. Well, you know, Humboldt's somebody I, I'm familiar with, uh, and and you know, he was somebody that was introduced to me at school, and we we spoke about it regularly in our science classes, mainly uh, nah, uh, and yeah. 
you know, his meeting with, with uh, Jefferson over in the U.S. and about how right, um, right. essentially because of him and the discussions that they then had w- w- kind of gave birth to the the national parks and, and whatever over in the U.S. Roosevelt, and, too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. and, and it, I love the way, it, I think I heard, I, I may be misquoting him, but I remember he was speaking to Jefferson and Jefferson was talking to him about the, you know, the seven wonders of the world. Uh, and... um Humboldt essentially said to him, no, you, you don't need to build anything. You know, it, you already have these natural, beautiful things in your country. That should be what you're you're pushing forward. That should be your thing, you know, and just kind of hearing that w- was amazing. Um, and it, it, even just that sounds poetic in, it, in itself, you in know, itself, the idea yeah. behind that is that you don't need to rebuild something or build something to show people that you're in charge of change and you're this change maker as a country adapt and adopt the things that you have and use them to your strengths. And I, I really admired that. Yeah. But in in terms of um, modern day, David Attenborough for me, for sure, is somebody who really, really got me interested in science. And I think lesser nowadays, I, I'd say probably Neil deGrasse Tyson is is somebody who I think is, is somebody that appeals to me. Is he poetic? No. Is he sarcastic? Perhaps. But that kind of appeals to me too. But he is an artist, right? I mean, when you yeah, think he about is, that. Yeah. Like for yeah. example, Attenborough, he just he just decided, okay, my art is not going to be poetry, not not paintings, but I will use the television medium to let people see things that you would never think that you would yeah. ever see, yeah. details that you that, that that most human beings have never seen. And Neil deGrasse Tyson, his connection is with the geeks. He mm-hmm. will Star Trek and Star Wars you as good as you can give, yeah. and and he will he will make that connection that way. That it becomes, yeah. um, uh, it's cool to be a nerd. It's cool to be a scientific nerd. Yeah. You know? I think that it would be it would be good to advocate more for that kind of thing. You men- mentioned Pythagoras uh, at, at the beginning. I I mean, I, yeah, I was at school, I'm terrible at maths, terrible at maths. But um, I was at school and we had to learn, I don't know, what was Pythagoras? It was some numbers anyway. The theory, the theory, <laughs> yeah. Pythagorean. Oh, the, the theory. hypotenuse and all that kind yeah, of business. Yeah. And But then I years later, I discovered he wasn't just a set of numbers, but actually his uh, principles was were based on or around um, his philosophy, and mm. that there was a Pythagorean movement in Greece at that time. Who mm-hmm. they were, it, I can't I can't really remember it now. But it was trying to find a purity of uh, existence, and and, and it's also a basis for music. I mean, you asked Richard, right? That's right. right. Uh, That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and and. And and if I'd been if I'd been told when I was being taught this Pythagoras thing that it wasn't just a set of numbers, but it actually was um a philosophy, that it had a human quality to it. And if if that picture could have been painted, that would have made a lot of sense to me. Because mm. we have been, all of us, inspired by television science mm. uh because of pictures. That's true. And yeah. young yeah. minds really find trouble a, a handful of people can grasp it at a young age and really run with it and and mm. become great scientists i'm I'm, yeah. just, I'm wondering you know if someone had painted me a picture perhaps i could be a great scientist now yeah yeah i mean the beauty <laughs> of it first i mean for example whatever you feel about dawkins or richard dawkins right but he someone thinks he's done it's been very interesting like for example his book the ancestor's tale he took the canterbury tales and he used the structure of the canterbury tales uh, to create these stories about evolution, which um, mirrored, you know, the Chaucer's artistic um, structure of, of storytelling. 
And mm. so, you know, there are still, yeah. still a lot but of... Yeah, but Richard of, Dawkins has kind of... Uh, kind he's of, a bit of a... Uh, Boiled yeah. his uh, copy. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, he should he should keep his personal opinions to himself. Yeah, yeah. Stephen yeah. Stephen J. Gould is fantastic. Um, Carl Sagan, I love Carl but, Sagan. But but to to wrap up then, uh, you 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 would like to advocate for um for people to approach science through art. Yeah, or, or there should be more. Or, or I'm, I, actually, I was more curious about how it influenced you guys, or whether you think that there's still a lot of that influence going on. I guess, I guess it's um, like, 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 like Richard said, um, Neil deGrasse Tyson is probably the most popular uh, uh, pop scientist. Let's call it popular yeah, scientist yeah, exactly, around. Yeah. But there should be more. There should be more. It should be something that you know, there should be more. Bill Bill Nye's, for example, or more. Right. Uh, whoever, <laughs> um, um, was that guy Thomas Dolby? <laughs> yeah. In, about in, being... Instead, we have uh, flat earthers and anti-vaxxers like uh, RFK Jr., who who are was, getting more press, yeah, and who are advocating for ignorance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, ignorance mm. is the is the good thing. Good yeah. thing they're not entertaining. Uh, <laughs> they're not as, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not <laughs> as poetic. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, very quickly, each one of us. Nominate somebody who has inspired us in our life in science. And I guess David Attenborough comes is immediately coming to mind for me. Richard? Yeah, same here. I would say. I think yeah, absolutely. All three of us. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. 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 It, it, second, second would be, yeah, definitely. He still, he still dazzles me. Yeah. yeah. Blue Planet, I remember getting that book as a kid and, and just flicking through, looking through the photographs and just being absolutely amazed by some of the stuff that he'd come across and, and, and discuss. Amazing. And, and Mm. And I also think it's, it's genuine. You can you can feel it through the way he talks about his subject. Mm. That he loves it so much, so passionate about it that you mm. can't help but be. Um, it's it's contagious. It's it's a contagious love for nature. It's he's uh, amazing. Carl Sagan yeah. would be second for me. Second yeah. place would be. Yeah, you guys, uh, yeah, read his stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we move on, and in a moment we're going to come back, and we're going to find out the travails. The sad story of the serial <laughs> hobbyist here on A Bit of Culture, BFM 89.9. And we're back with myself and Richard Bradbury and Naar Murad. And now, Richard Bradbury, the, mm. the, the travails of the serial hobbyist. Well, just to answer kind of Nar's question a little bit earlier on about um, what exactly is a hobby, I um, mean, something he was speaking about just off air. And, you know, an activity that's done regularly in your spare time simply for pleasure is the ideal description of what a hobby is right now and and this kind of came from a couple of places and i want to ask the two of you like during the lockdown um other than the hobbies that you already have and i'm sure you both listen to a lot of music you both read a lot of books watch a lot of movies did you start anything else yeah, I, I almost did. I almost did. Almost, I, uh, almost doesn't quite work. No. Because, 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 because <laughs> what did you is, almost I, do during? I, the... I tried so many things. I, I I I wrote a whole novel, which is not a hobby, I suppose, because I it's part of what I do. I'm you know I'm, I'm a, a you know I'm a storyteller, so mm. that I expect to make money from hopefully someday. And then I wanted to learn, you know, the butterfly knife, the thing that they have in movies where you go flicky, yeah. flicky, flack. Uh, but, yeah. you know, martial arts has always been a hobby, so that is a new. But I wanted to learn the djembe. That's the okay. only one that I, I failed. I totally failed. I just, it just didn't, I might go back to that, but that's one new hobby. Because you talk about serial hobbies, right? Yeah. And I was wondering, have I started a new hobby? That was the closest in the last few years that I almost started a new hobby, which is percussions. But 
never took on. I might try again. I don't know. Ah, right, I Cam, what, what about you? Well, after after Naar's list of failures, mm-hmm. <laughs> failures to do achieve any of those, um, <laughs> I if we're talking about specifically uh, the MCO period, I I made the decision to return to things that I had been doing back in the past and had dropped. So reading, actually. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. I did not I did not go embark into um, embark on anything new. Because I mean, for right. me also, choosing to read a book that's really out of my comfort zone is also already a kind of hobby in a way. It's a All totally right. different thing, and I didn't do that either. <laughs> so this kind of came mainly because then. I talk a lot about entrepreneurs on on BFM, you know, and and the kind of idea of the serial entrepreneur. And it kind of got me thinking during the pandemic, you know, this seems like a bunch of people who have started something, a business, uh, generally failed or have done very well and sold off that business, you know, thereby giving themselves this, this terminology of the serial entrepreneur. And we can look at people like Elon Musk, for example, uh, Richard Branson, you know, and they've all got these interests in in many many different things. You look at Elon; he's known for um, electric vehicles, space travel, artificial intelligence, things called X. Yeah. Yes, yes, things <laughs> called X. Uh, Richard Branson, of course, um, interest in music, aviation, space travel, and many other areas. And this kind of got me thinking: Well, how different really is it from a hobby? You know, these are ideas. <laughs> Uh, essentially, though, the, the entrepreneurs have taken what might have been a hobby and turned it into a business and, and become successful with it. Why hasn't that happened to me, for example? you know, Because <laughs> you don't have the money. <laughs> don't have the money. Neither yeah. did Richard Branson, though, at the beginning. But I was looking at some of the stuff that I was um, doing during the pandemic, uh, uh, different to what I would normally do. I already play and collect guitars which was something that became an issue and then i realized that i was already collecting foot pedals and electronics related to guitars all of these things were a money sink right Mm. and whilst i realized that and realized how much money that i was spending i was also looking at other things that kind of might garner my interest that were less expensive Things like I I started building terrariums. Um, these things, you know, so it, glass um, structure for with, for reptiles, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, for for reptiles, but without the animals in them. So it was like moss and it was plants oh. and one oh, thing. Okay, or another. okay, all right. And they were beautiful, and I spent a lot of time and energy um, working on these things, but I wasn't necessarily getting any benefit from it apart from that idea of learning something new, learning a new skill, gaining some kind of knowledge. But then the cons was was that I'm looking at all of these new things that I'm I'm starting and it was just this like kind of lack of mastery, this, you know, cost of sinking into these things and this lack of consistency. So it really got me thinking what kind of a person is a serial hobbyist. And I'm it kind of got me diving down this rabbit hole of the kind of behavior behind this. And the psychology behind it is is that this behavior is driven by the idea of novelty and intrigue, right? But it also popped up that people who tend to do this kind of thing are often people with attention deficit hyperactivity (laughs) disorder. So I'm thinking to myself, do I have ADHD? Um, And that threw me down another rabbit hole. But it also talked about this idea of 
doing hobbies is also technically collecting. And as we know, collecting can be maladaptive and move on to this idea of hoarding. And when oh. I look at my cupboards and at my closets, I, I have, you know, things stored in there that I don't necessarily need, but have been there because I've started these these hobbies and haven't really gone too far with them. And it really got me worried about the kind of person that I've become and whether or not I need to be somebody who's very aware that starting all of these new things may be very cool in that moment. But like you, Cam, you know, you 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 read and then you stopped reading for a while. Which of these things do I need to re-pick up again? And that I really start to I really need to look at and think, well, I'm actually getting something from this. Yeah, but you're getting you're getting a, a hell of a lot from it. And I think that some of your leaps in your your conclusions are wrong. You say attention deficit when it's the opposite. What's the opposite of deficit? Um obsessive um, compulsive. What I mean, you say well, that like no, it, that's you say it like it's example. a bad thing. No, no what I mean, you're what you are enjoying is the mm. act of concentration. I agree. I agree. And and I and I, I, and I find that in a in a handful of things too. It's absolutely amazing when you yes, suddenly you yes. wake up from it. It's like, hey, wait a second. I, I yeah, yeah. did this. I concentrated on and it's so pure and beautiful. I love that. It, yeah. And, and, and you know it it sorry, sorry it, nah. it, it doesn't it doesn't you know it doesn't matter if it does it um goes away for a while. I, I was talking to Cam about this before you came on and it's like mm. I have not had a new hobby. But I have sat on a lot of hobbies for a long time, but I always find myself going back to them or never really leaving them, but going back to them uh, eventually. And, mm. and it is not a waste to put it on mothballs for a while. Yeah. You know, provided you have the space. Uh, mm. You know, I mean, don't collect, um, I don't know, tractors or something because you'll never have the space for that. But, you know, like, for example, <laughs> even, even I never thought I would get back to video games, but I'm getting a secondhand PS4. And I thought, you know, I'd start playing a little bit again. Mm. You know, it is, it is kind of like a hobby. Um, and, uh, and I don't regret it. I think if you really like something, if it, like Cam says, I find myself with, um, for example, getting back into vinyls. It's like I, I obsessed about little things like cleaning the records. I'm cleaning yeah. the the and and it becomes for that 15 20 minutes it's so satisfying. Yeah. You feel yeah. like you've really done yeah. something and it's important yeah. to you if nobody else, you know. But what, it was just this idea of like when I was doing the the terrariums for example, they they the amount of like you were saying Cam, you know that ability to concentrate fully on something for an hour, 2 hours or something and then come out of it was fantastic being in that zone. Mm. But then thinking half an hour later and looking at something else, almost enviously, you know, I want to try something else. And then it felt like I was cheating on my terrariums <laughs> or on my guitars yeah, or on yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> your know? moss was probably really, really angry with you. Uh, it yeah. was indeed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Never got to talk to him yeah. again. But actually, this again. resonates, though, with me uh, in that uh, a few weeks ago, I, I posed a, a topic question, and, and nobody really was like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about, which was that I was saying how I've always had this uh, obsession about the Beatles, and I spent, I've spent, I mean, years upon years, if you lay them on end, thinking about them and 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 the connections and the storylines and everything. But mm. I realized I've never actually spoken about it. I've never actually talked to anybody about it. And uh -huh. and and I understand what your thing is. I'm not saying I don't want to talk to anybody, but it just doesn't really crop up. It's like, hey, let's just talk for ten hours about the Beatles. But um, 
but what you're what you have there is is uh this uh, yeah obsession what the hell's wrong with that and yeah, um, yeah. and it's uh, an enjoyment and no, it's, it's, it's probably, but yours is very personal, isn't it? Richard? And it's probably very um, good for your mind, actually. It, I think it is. It is very personal now. And and when I kind of look back through my childhood and I observe, you know, how my 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 father was in particular, you know, he I remember him having this shed, and, and at the time it was like we used to think, oh, it's full of junk, you know. But he could go in that shed and identify something at the back of the shed in a dark corner, hidden under a, you know fifty or sixty boxes. And know exactly where it was, you know. It was this idea, but he was a very much a collector of things, and he would use these things and recycle and upcycle these things to fix issues around the house, you know. And I think obviously that has kind of made a very deep impression on me. Um, this yeah. idea of collecting things just in case, learning about things just in case. And that shed is a very uh, English thing. Oh, yes. Uh, it's it's a cultural... Do, do you want to shed, Richard? I, I, prob- I, I have an <laughs> understairs, so that's currently yeah. my shed. <laughs> right. Yeah, I have one of those too, yeah. But your well, guitar, your guitar thing, hobby, I mean, that's been mm. going for most of your oh, life. Yeah, most of my life, yeah. yeah. Uh, a very, very long time. That's and, something that has has been consistent, yeah. And the terrariums, everything's dead now, are they? they just, no, you know, no, 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 no. Oh. They, they they died off for a while, and then I rebuilt them um, because I, I was looking at them and I'm thinking these things were so beautiful just a year ago. Why do they look like you know death warmed up right now? Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, because because you keep thinking about other hobbies, you know that a Rolling Stone gathers no moss. This oh, <laughs> nice one. Yeah, very true. Very true. Yeah. yeah. No, but 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 I understand your, your anxiety about this. It's like, are you mm-hmm. going to become basically a person who just abandons a lot. My father was the exact opposite of your father. You could say he was a serial gadget lover. He loved gadgets, mm. but mm. he got tired of them and he never revisited them. So mm. he felt a bit of a shame, like golf, cameras, whatever it was. Uh, um, he didn't, he didn't, there was no upkeep. There was no interest in keeping it alive or at least doing something with, with that shed. It was mm. like, these things are, you know, I don't want to see you anymore. He, he he just lost interest completely. And I think if you don't completely lose interest in in beloved hobbies, I think fine, have as many mm. as you want within reason, within because yeah. you know you, you know. Well, well, look, we're gonna we're gonna move on, but uh, Richard, just to conclude, are you are you eyeing up a new hobby? Are you thinking yeah, of something? Yeah. Uh, no, kind of. No, no. Well, go no, on, I'm say not, it. Go on. Um, prepare, prepare yourself and us. I started getting very interested in sneakers uh, again fairly recently, and that has become one of, not quite a obsession, but you know when you start researching something and you feel that pull of this is an interesting thing to be looking at. That, so you, you buy them, you buy you buy them, and you collect yeah, them. Yeah, yes, a few. Yeah, I I I, I bought a few pairs uh, the, in the last but that, year. Does or that so. come into the investment kind of world? Though? Does that? No, I don't want to get into that side of things. I mean, I looked at that and and I spoke with a bunch of people who got involved with that, and the amount of money that is is around on that market is something that is. But do you do you actually wear these sneakers, or do you just I do. display them? You I wear do. them. I, mean, okay, I do so now. They were. Some Even of them were sat in a cupboard now for almost, okay. almost for two, three years until I started pulling them out fairly recently. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. No, I can understand that. He's got a big collection of um, toys. Um, what are yeah, they collectibles. Called? But... A- action figures. What are they called? Is that uh, collectibles? Collectibles. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Here's, here's, a, here's a wait. Let me see if I can get one. No, wait, that, that doesn't this work on radio. radio. Oh yes, yes, yes. yes. That's, no. that's the bet pod. Yeah. No, I'm not does, a, a, does not I'm work not. on radio. 
Uh, <laughs> okay, oh. for those who didn't see it, it was the tumbler from from the Dark Knight. Okay. Um, <laughs> All right. So uh, we move on. Uh, well, good luck with with that, uh, Richard. And it's Thank not you, weird. Sir. It's not weird at all. Good. So um, <laughs> you're not crazy. You're not crazy. You're, you're not crazy. You're, you're not crazy. Not yet. Yeah. So we move to uh, recommendations. We recommend something that we think might be of interest. I go first. I want to mm. recommend a place I went to today. It's called Urmu. U R M U. Urban oh. Museum. Oh. And it is in the uh, uh, Jalan Salon area in Kuala Lumpur. Yeah. It was created Ooh. by an architect. Uh, he has converted this uh, uh, five-story building. It's not a huge building. It's a narrow, it's a shop house, shop lot, um, in the Jalan Salon area into what he calls an urban museum. It's really an art gallery. Uh, but it, he's he's converted the building itself very beautifully. It, it's simple, but it's it's well thought through. It's it's a just a really nice building. And it's been open for a while now and he's just charging five ringgit for people to enter and it's doing very well actually mm. is it it's, those buildings um just behind the arab militian that row um, um or is it up where the houses are because i, I it's I up where the houses that... are if, if okay if that means anything to anyone if that helps to if yeah. that helps um you, you look it up you are mu urmu and it's um it's just a really delightful spot, and and it it gave me the excuse to have a look at a part of town I don't go to anymore, uh, the Bukit Salon kind of, and 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 the uh, Bukit Bintang area. Yeah, yeah. Jalan Alo and all that. Right? Wonderful yeah. area, yeah. but it's been but, ages for me too. Yeah, but a lot of young people, young Malaysians, were going there. Uh, we saw them coming in, and it's very popular with uh, students, etc. It's um, it's just a really great spot. I'm going to check that out. You yes. should. Yeah, yeah. I would you, like to do that. You really you. should. It's really worth it. And just think, oh, well, hey, wow, this is just well thought through. <laughs> mm. um, okay, so that's my recommendation. Uh, nah. Yeah. Well, since since uh, Richard knew quite a bit about Alexander von Humboldt, and he's a, it, it's just so much more to the guy than 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 you know I can I can even you know in in ten episodes of of your show, um, I recommend reading this book called The Invention of Nature. Which is as undertitled "The Adventures of Alexander von Humboldt, the Lost Hero of Science" by Andrea Wolf. It's a very uh, recent book. It won the 2015 Costa Biography Award, <laughs> which is which is not an award. Oh, there you go. No, no, that, that, that's a, that's a serious award that one. Sorry. Yeah, and it also the Booker Prize, uh, Science Booker Prize winner, 2017. Oh. So it's yeah. a really good book, and and the stuff that the guy. One thing that you'd find interesting, Ken. Uh, Master and Commander is one of my favorite movies, and, and the books are pretty cool too. And the character that, um, what's his name played? The scientist who's also a spy. Humboldt was a little bit of that too. You talked about Jefferson, right, Richard? Mm. Because he was in South America so often and a lot, and he knew everything about every country that he visited. When he visited Jefferson, Jefferson also used him not so much as a spy. There was no such thing as a CIA or anything like that back then, but he was a, a fountain of information for what was happening in South America. For mm. Washington, Washington mm. pumped him with ideas. Are they rebels here? Are they stable here? What was what, this? What's that? What's going on? And he became a little bit of that. And I think he was um, the prototype for that character in Master and Command, the Master and Commander series. Can I, I, no, can I just? I think we forgot to say the years of Humboldt's oh, life. Oh yeah, I may not have said it. It was sort of like uh, he got into his own at the end of the 17th century. Actually, the interesting thing is. It, the book also indicates what it's like to be a scientist and a poet during the Napoleonic Wars. 
because he was he was contemporary with the, with 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 the wars. And so the early got, early eighteen hundreds. Yeah, I mean, he started in sort of late seventeen hundreds. Yeah, um, he started being a. Then the wars happened and and kept on happening and and uh, yeah, that impacted his life and his decisions too. So it's a very interesting book. And it's also about the people who he influenced. Oh. Um, so um, so after the other the, the name of the book again, the invention of nature. The Adventures of Alexander von Humboldt, the Lost Hero of Science. And what they mean by invention of nature is the invention of how we, we have looked at nature, how we have categorized nature um, since, since his time. Right, right. So it wasn't Darwin, it wasn't any of this others, it was Humboldt. Okay. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, he was a pen friend of Darwin, right, as well? Uh, yes, Darwin. But really? he couldn't stop talking. That's the thing about uh. Humboldt. He, was, he needed to command the room. And Darwin adored him, but could never ask the pertinent questions because Humboldt wouldn't stop talking. I always <laughs> wonder what would have happened if Darwin could actually have managed to have a proper conversation with Humboldt. Um, mm. Maybe the theory of evolution would have come out, you know, a few years earlier. Mm. Ah, okay. Okay. So, uh, Richard, what's yours? Um, I have a book recommendation uh, by Dr. Frank Tallis. It's called mm. Lovesick, Love as a Mental Illness. Uh, and it explores this idea of uh, love from a psychological uh, perspective, uh, oh. suggesting that the intense emotions and behaviors um, can often resemble symptoms of psychiatric disorders. Um, so it proposes that the the term love sickness um, should be revived as a diagnosis uh, because it encapsulates this full range of symptoms uh, more effectively than current clinical terms. And it discusses this evolution of the purpose of love, uh, suggesting that these intense feelings that we feel at the beginning of a relationship um, is there to uh, ensure the potential survival of offspring. And right. Over time, that kind of drifting apart, um, and, and when uh, people kind of get into these mundane relationships, is your cue uh, to move on to find a uh, newer partner, evolutionary speaking. Um, but it, it basically talks about people who are stuck in that crazy idea stage of love. Um, well, like about, the teenage, the teenage, the, idea the teenage thing, yeah. But how chemicals were just forming. Correct. But yeah. how, whenever we, we you look at like classical literature or even songs, it, it's like unrequited love. Why does your love hurt me so much? I'm painfully in love. So it's a discussion around the idea, um, yeah. and kind of proposes therapeutic approaches to people um, managing this idea of lovesickness. Um, theories from Freud, uh, Melanie Klein, a few others. It's a really interesting read. Well, you take the fun I mean, out of everything, Richard. No, it's a good read. <laughs> it sounds interesting, yes. But, yeah. you know, you, love can be dangerous. I mean, you can also say that the love, that, 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 that feeling that you need something could be, mm. could be translated to love of power, the love of of all kinds of things, yeah. love of money, love of material, of control. You know that that's all negative. Yeah. So, yeah. but love is a good thing or a bad thing? What is it? The feel. What, what? I think it's a good thing. Love is a good thing. Yeah, but it it's but it's now it's like it's just like indigestion and <laughs> and, and you just like find a cure kind of thing. No, more like a psychiatric disorder camp. Yeah. Oh, cool. oh yeah. great. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I guess everything has its extreme points. You know, like yeah. even love has its. Uh, yeah. Well, I dare not say around Richard, I love this ice cream. Or, you know. <laughs> he'll, be, he'll, he'll wrap you up in a street jacket. Yeah, yeah. In a hospital in no time. Put that ice cream down, Cam. You're not well. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, uh, that brings us to the end of this week's show. Only remains me now to thank Na'amura. Thank you. You're welcome. And thank you. Always a pleasure.
And and thank you for your uh, return after I don't know how long, Richard Bradbury. Mm. Thank you very much for having me back. Been a pleasure. And uh, so you've got a storage area that's like full of guitars and sneakers. I, I do, I do, and, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, not too many sneakers, but guitars, yes. I've got yeah. f- Currently, I've got five here. Well, it's not too bad. That's not too bad, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing well. Yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 in, I'm, I'm in recovery. Because you can actually I'm, play I'm, them. I'm, you can actually play them. So Yeah, yeah, yeah I can, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm thinking of getting a tortoise, so maybe I can come to you for, for ideas about terrariums. There you go. No, you, yeah. you've got several tortoises already. Well, I've got the water types. I, I want the land tortoise. You know, they're, 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 uh-huh. they're no, charming, charming creatures. Yeah. Okay. I've had them before. I've had them before. It's not a new, it's not a new hobby. <laughs> okay. <laughs> don't, don't tempt Richard. It, it could no, just, no, no. It, it could end I'm up. Staying away from reptiles. Yeah, yeah. No, no reptiles or amphibians for me. Okay. Well, Salmonella, think- yeah. Well, thank you very much. And on that happy note of Salmonella, we end uh, this week's show. And please join us next week for another exciting episode of A Bit of Culture here on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.